0: Good morning, all right. If you will, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, uh, verses 14 through 18. As a way of introduction, in our family, we have a tradition of putting up a Christmas tree the day after Thanksgiving. We also have the tradition of watching Christmas movies leading up to Christmas. We like to watch um, The Charlie Brown Christmas Story, and The Grinch That Stole Christmas, and many others. But these two in, in particular generate a few questions I want to ask us this morning. Are you depressed? Are you frustrated, like Charlie Brown, with the commercialized Christmas? Or are you more like the Grinch in your thinking that Christmas is about ribbons, about tinsel and bows, about Christmas trees and Christmas gifts full of all sorts of things? These movies uh, speak of the real trouble we find ourselves during Christmas. And as we think about our passage this morning, we are not far removed from the church that the writer of Hebrews seeks to encourage. They were on the verge of neglecting their salvation. They struggle with believing in the midst of their situation, and they needed to be reminded of their great salvation in Christ. We too need to be reminded that Christmas is about God securing a great salvation for us by sending his Son to be clothed in flesh and taste death for us. So how might you on this Christmas Eve be neglecting the great salvation you have in Christ? And when we think about neglect, it is a word that is associated with responsibility or of something of importance, like neglecting your studies, neglecting your chores, neglecting relationships. But particularly, How are we neglecting our great salvation in Christ? Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten on this Christmas Eve that he is able to help those who are tempted? Have you forgotten that he is able to sympathize with those who are under temptation or sympathize with us who are in temptation? Have you forgotten as the God-man, He understands our longings, our desires, our needs. Have you forgotten that we have a merciful and faithful shepherd of our souls? Do we really have problems that He doesn't understand? Do we really have needs that He can't meet? I hope you find great encouragement today in this great salvation that you have in Christ. Would you please stand with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 2, verses fourteen through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those When tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to be together this morning, Lord, to see a baptism already, uh, to know that we're going to get to participate in the Lord's Supper. Lord, to see the Word displayed in so many ways already this morning, from song to prayer to baptism, and now preaching. Lord, we pray that your word would go forth and that by your Holy Spirit you would change our hearts. Lord, if we are in a place of doubt or concern or even on the verge of of unbelief, of falling away, Lord, would you grip us by this great salvation. Lord, give us understanding and to see Lord, how you have sent your Son to be like us in human flesh, Lord, and to die in our place. Lord, give us understanding, give us encouragement, give us perseverance, Lord, on this Christmas Eve. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to give us a little bit of a summary to Hebrews as we get started and then uh, this context where we find ourselves in chapter two. So a brief summary, I would say, goes this way. In the former days, God spoke through his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Therefore, we ought not neglect this great salvation. Thus, we must persevere through believing. The author is writing as a shepherd, as a pastor who is concerned about the flock, falling away because of unbelief. Through careful explaining of the redemptive story through history, the author shows Christ as superior, better than angels, better than Moses, better than the tabernacle. He's a better high priest within a better covenant. The author describes this great salvation that they have in Christ in order to encourage them to persevere through believing. Now, the context of chapter 2 starts in this way. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And what they have heard is that God has spoken to them in these latter days, through his son. The main point of this section that we'll hear from this morning is this by becoming human and receiving our judgment for sin, Jesus did everything necessary to secure a great salvation for us. And we mustn't miss it. So, to say that one more time by becoming human and receiving judgment our sin Jesus everything necessary to secure a great salvation for us and we mustn't miss it in this first point I want us to, to establish that we have a great salvation in Christ and to build on that in subsequent points much like the author did to his audience I want us to I want to show you the rich and wonderful salvation you have in Christ in hopes that through seeing and understanding your faith may be strengthened and that you do not lose hope. So the first point I want us to see this morning is this, Jesus willingly did everything necessary to accomplish and secure a great salvation for us. Jesus willingly did everything necessary to accomplish and secure a great salvation for us. Let's establish the fact that the author is communicating this great salvation. If we look back in, in the beginning of chapter two, verses one through three, he says it verbatim. He says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The church knew of His great salvation, It was declared by the Lord from witnesses had communicated it to them. The powerful work of God had affirmed the gospel through signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit, yet they were on the verge of unbelief, giving up and turning aside to unbelief. We also see this great salvation, explained in verses eight and nine. And let me read those to us. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. As present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor "'because of the suffering of death, "'so that by the grace of God, "'he might tes- taste death for everyone.'" Now I would ask us to, to put on our theological thinking hats here. The, context, uh, the concept that's being alluded to here in, in the, the latter part of verse nine, that he tasted death for us, it's alluding to this concept of substitutionary atonement. Now what is that big word, substitutionary atonement? the substitute is is pretty straightforward. Uh, A practical example that comes in my mind being a a public school, uh, you know, attendee or or student uh, growing up, a, a substitute teacher, if they wanted to take time off, they had to find a substitute to fill their place to take their place to teach for them. Now atonement refers to the forgiveness and pardoning of sin through the death of a sacrifice. And in this case, Jesus is that sacrifice that tasted death for us. So the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know his name, some some think it may be Paul, he is alluding to substitutionary atonement, here he is talking about this great salvation that we have in Christ. So let us uh, seek to understand the, the generous nature of God in showing grace to us in Christ. This way, have you ever seen the show The Undercover Boss? It's a show where a boss or a CEO of a a corporation disguises themselves as a new employee to get to know their organization at the ground level and to see what kind of employees they have. And inevitably, the boss is surprised by how, by how good some of the employees are and to find out some of their dire financial situations. In the end, the boss is generous and gives the employees different gifts to their surprise. And this is a good example of being generous. But let us make that more personal to us this morning. How generous and awesome is it when someone pays for our bill when we go to a restaurant? Now we've, we've probably all had that happen a time or two and it's nice, it's money saved, but, but what if we had someone give us more to be more generous? How generous and awesome would it be if someone looked, took over our car note and you didn't have to pay another bill? How generous and awesome would it be if someone paid off your mortgage, leaving you debt-free? What if someone paid all your school debt? What if someone paid all of your medical bills? It would be such a generous offer, wouldn't it? Yet not a single one of these examples comes close to the generous grace that our God has shown us in Christ and the great salvation He has provided for us. And this is truly the Christmas story that we just read about in Matthew 1, 18 and 25. When Joseph is in this dream, verse 20, it says, but as As he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the Christmas story, Jesus took on our nature, As John Piper says it, Jesus took our nature in Bethlehem to die our death in Jerusalem. Which brings me to my next point. Jesus had to become human to accomplish this great salvation plan of God. Jesus had to become human to accomplish the great salvation plan of God. Now Jesus had to become might sound a bit too strong of a phrase, or even blasphemy. Who am I to say that Jesus has to do anything? Yet this is the, actually the way the passage speaks about Christ's humanity and what he had, what had to happen in order for him to accomplish salvation for us. So let us look at verse fourteen, starting with the word since. If we can remember our elementary school education, since is a conjunction. In my public school education, we learned a song. Conjunction, conjunction, what's your function? Does anybody know that? A couple of us. So what is the function here of the word since? Since implies Jesus had to be like us. Since is causal or it gives reason. So the author uses sense to imply that Jesus had to become like us. So the natural question comes, why? Why did Jesus have to become like us? Why is Jesus' humanity so important? Ultimately, the reality is Christianity stands or falls on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That is God taking on human flesh. To save those who were flesh and blood, Christ himself had to become flesh and blood. To save the race of Adam, Jesus became the second Adam, the better Adam. In the incarnation, the eternal Son of God assumed human nature. He was made flesh and blood like you and I are made of flesh and blood, yet he remained without sin. Because Jesus was one of us, he was able to redeem us, as Millard Erickson says. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, Paul says, God sent forth his son born under the law to redeem those under the law. Where the first Adam caused all humanity to be born in sin, we need a savior, a second Adam, to redeem humanity from the curse of sin. Another reason why Jesus' humanity is important is to make himself capable of dying. Another reason why Jesus' humanity is important is that as the pre-incarnate son, he could not die. Yet as a human, he could, and he did. John Calvin said, as he put it this way, that he put on our nature that he might thus make himself capable of dying. For as God, he could not undergo death. This was the whole purpose of his coming to clothe himself in human flesh that he might be the substitute for his children so that all who would believe in him would be redeemed. And let's pause there just so we're all on the same page of what is really at stake here. It truly is our salvation. And some of us this morning may be in this room and we don't know Christ as our Savior. We can't stand up and say, I am saved because I've trusted in the finished work of Christ. And he has redeemed me and been my propitiation for my sins. For you this morning, what a wonderful day it would be to trust in Christ on this Christmas Eve, to know that Christ has come, has been born a babe in humble station to live a life perfect, to be the sacrificial lamb, a substitute for you. Because of your sin, you have earned wages and the wages of those sin is death and eternal damnation apart and separated from God. Yet today can be the day of salvation for you if you would repent and believe and trust in him. But oh, Christian, what about us who do believe? We need to listen as the writer of Hebrews writes to the church. Are we going to neglect the great salvation we have in Christ? Are we gonna be confused with commercialism are we gonna be deceived by thinking like the Grinch in that there's something more to Christmas than Christ? May it never be. May we trust in Him in all these ways and these blessings that He knows our needs. He knows how we're tempted. And He has paid the price for our freedom which we'll get to here in just a moment as we look at and see the great salvation we have in Christ. There is another reason I want to point out before we move to point three, and it's this. Yet there is more and intimate reasons why Jesus' humanity is important. For us, If we look at verses 17 and 18, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." He had to be made like his brothers in every respect and this is for our benefit. So through the incarnation, the the eternal son knew what it was like to be human. Jesus, like us, became hungry. Jesus, like us, grew tired. He ate and drank and slept. He felt weary from lots of travel. He felt sorrow for the broken and lost. He felt compassion for those who were like a shepherd or without uh, were like a sheep without a shepherd. He shared in the things that all humanity shares, that he might be able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, how great a salvation is further explained as we look at the incarnate Son of God. So what did Jesus accomplish through his bodily death? That's our third point. What did he accomplish through his bodily death? He has accomplished a great salvation. And this is the point that the author is making to his original audience and I to you. Look and see the beautiful aspects of your salvation. Look on and believe Look on and be encouraged to persevere. O precious Christian, dearest friend, fellow pilgrim, look on to see what your God has done. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those through the fear of death which were subject to lifelong slavery. In verse 14, in his bodily death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now although God ultimately has power over life and death, from this verse the devil has some power in the realm of death and definitely the ability to entice and lure people into sin, which leads to death. Yet the emphasis here in verse 14 is on Christ's destructive power over Satan and death. Jesus, by his bodily death, put death to death. He put death in its own grave. No more would the children of man have to be conquered by life's final enemy through triumphing over death through his resurrection. And in so doing, Jesus freed us from Satan's tyranny, his oppression, his cruelty and dominion. He has freed us from Satan's condemnation, words that used to rightly describe us as idolaters an enemy of God, evil, corrupt, immoral, impure, a reviler, a hater of God, do not anymore. Although the devil will even accuse us now of such sins, we are no longer defined by them. Once condemned, but not now justified in Christ. Through Christ's bodily death he has freed us from the penalty of sin. That is death and separation. He has freed us from the power of sin. That is that we are no longer in bondage and in slavery to it. And this is what the author means when he says Jesus delivered those who were in subject, who were subject to lifelong slavery. That they were in bondage because of their sin. And there was no way of getting out on their own that is. It was only through Christ. The fear that once was captive, the fear of death is now our joy because of our physical death is but a doorway to seeing our Savior face to face. No longer are we prisoners of Satan, but we are free in Christ. In his bodily death, Jesus becomes our merciful high priest. He he became one who could empathize and help us in our temptation. Oh brother and sister, I hope this morning that you get a better understanding, or you have gotten a better understanding of the great salvation that you have in Christ. That Jesus was willingly, or willing to do everything necessary to accomplish and secure a great salvation for you. And that he had to become a human in order to accomplish this great salvation. And that he, through his bodily death, has been victorious over the devil. He's been given and paid for our sin. He's become our substitute. That we're no longer under the bondage of sin or the power of sin, but we are now free in Christ. I hope, I truly do hope that you see the beauty of this great salvation that we have in Christ and that you would be encouraged not to be hopeless or overcome, but to trust in Him this day.